So we're in uh, Romans chapter 12 today, which, you know, as I looked at this passage of scripture, there's just, there's so much here. I think a, a better preacher than me could probably um, find a way to encapsulate the whole chapter into, into one sermon. I was like, you could have a lifetime worth of sermons in this one chapter. So we're going to kind of just stick to the first couple verses, but I do want to read the whole thing to kind of get the full picture of, of what Paul is painting here, because he's going to, it's going to kind of carry on through to the rest of the book. It's like chapter 12 isn't like an, uh, there's not an end, a distinct end between chapter 12 and 13. It's all going to kind of continue to flow from what we're going to look at in the first couple verses here. So I'm going to read, I'll be in the um, New Revised Standard Version only because I don't have an NIV that you don't need like a magnifying glass to, to look at. So I'm going to read it from that, but in my notes, um, I've got it in the NIV, which I think is what you've been um, using. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can just like read that and dismiss. That, uh, there's so much there to chew on. Like I said, we can't really dive into all of it deeply, but I want to kind of focus in on those first two verses a little bit. So give you just a quick story. Um, when I was a 19-year-old sailor, um, we landed in Veracruz, Mexico for a few days. And uh, when I was there, I, um, I bought a, a wristwatch. It was a citizen's watch from a kid on the street for 10 bucks. 
Some of you laugh because you're a little bit more street smart than I was at that age. And uh, I thought I got a great deal. And I'm sure that, like, this is the old me. I'm sure that I w- it was an impaired decision. I'll just put it that way. Okay, so I, so I bought this watch, and I got back to the ship, and I'm showing everybody off this really, really cool watch, a shiny watch. And I'm like, check out this watch I got. It's a citizen's watch. I got it for 10 bucks. And they're like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, what? It's, no, it's a real citizen's watch, you guys. Like, it says right there. And they're like, dude, you, that's a, that is not a real watch. Like, it might look real, but it is not a real watch. And so... Um, the, the investment on that watch turned out to be a dollar a day because that's about how long it lasted before it, before it did kind of give out. And so when it gave out, you know, I'm on the ship and we're out at sea and I was like, I'm going to, maybe it's just the battery. I'm being optimistic at this point. Maybe I didn't get ripped off. Maybe it just needs a new battery. So I went up to the electronic shop and I got, they got like the little small screwdrivers and stuff and I opened up the back case of the watch and when I popped the case open, all the internals of the watch were like plastic. It was like, like stuff you would find in a dollar store watch, not something you would find in a watch that might normally be two, three, four, five hundred dollars $500, like dollar store watch components inside of this thing. And so you can guess where it went after that. Christians who are conformed to the pattern of this world are like a watch that can't tell you what time it is. They might have the shiny workings of the outside and look like the real thing, but on the inside, they've taken shortcuts and the materials haven't been sufficiently formed by a craftsman for a watch to be able to do the one thing that you really actually need a watch to do, right, which is tell you what time it is. There, I was going to show a video, but it's like I couldn't find a, a short video of watchmaking, but if you get a chance to watch a video about watchmaking, it's really... It's pretty fascinating to watch a master craftsman take these raw materials. There was one where, like, this watch was 300,000 euros is how much it costs. I don't know what that translates to dollars, but I think it's a lot. More than I make in a year for sure. Um, This watch, like, one piece that if I held it up, the people in, like, the first couple rows might be able to see it. The people in the back rows, like, you probably wouldn't even be able to see this piece. This lady spent an entire week, an entire work week, with a microscope on her eye, um, polishing this one piece. Just, just one piece. That's how fearfully and wonderfully this watch was crafted. And, and so, you know, you, you watch, and when a watch, a timepiece comes together on the hand of a skilled master craftsman, it becomes a consistent, enduring, and accurate reflection of the craftsman who made it. It does its job, right? It keeps an accurate time. And in keeping an accurate time, it has a purpose. See, my watch, it didn't have much purpose after it stopped telling the time. And that's why it went in the trash. It was, it was kind of useless to me because it didn't do the thing that I actually needed it to do. Well, for the Christian, God wants us, God's desire is for us to live according to his will in all the various relationships and engagements that he places us in. The, the, this... this uh, kind of discourse now that we're going to enter into in Romans, right, in in chapter 12, um, it starts, it's kind of broken into these sections that deal with, they all deal with relationships. It starts with our relationship to God, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to be in a right relationship with God as a believer? And then it moves into our relationship with ourselves in chapter 3, where it talks about, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Right? And it moves into our relationship with each other in the church. How do we interact when we have all these various and, and different gifts? How do, we, how do we 
live peaceably with one another and not elevate some over the other and not elevate especially ourselves over others? How do we live in harmony with each other? And then it moves into our relationship with our enemies, right? And we're commanded to do things that seem very difficult in the natural, like to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us and bless those who bless and not curse those who persecute us. Very, very difficult for us to do these things in the natural. And it moves into next week, which I'm going to tune in for, um, our, our relationship with the state. That's not complicated at all, is it? Our relationship with the government. How do we, as Christians, as believers, how do we live in this world but not be of the world? How do we engage with the political world? And then it kind of goes on from there and do a few other things. But all of it, every bit of what's going to come after these first two verses flows from the first two verses of chapter 12. And so just as the purpose of a watch is to keep accurate time, the purpose of a Christ follower is to become an accurate reflection of who God is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is our purpose, to become an accurate reflection of the glory of God in Christ. And we do that by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God that are good and pleasing and holy. That is, it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, this is the appropriate response to what God has done in your life. This this offering of yourself is the appropriate response to the mercies that God has given you in Jesus Christ. See, worship isn't just, it's not... Following Christ is not just holding certain doctrines intellectually. It's, it's living them out. It's, it's taking what we're learning when we come on a Sunday morning and we hear from the Word of God and then applying it in a way that is, is lived. It's lived out. It requires a response with our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. So like in view of all of the mercy that God has given us, we offer our body as a living sacrifice and then every single thing that we do becomes an act of worship. Every single thing that we do becomes born as a response to who God is and what God has done for us. When we view worship as this way, when we view worship as our main purpose in life, as a response to God's mercy, and in that loving response, we offer ourselves up to be sacrificed, to be used by him and formed by him for his glory and for his purposes, we start to tick. And our lives start to get on time and get in sync with what God's word says is true. And we start to be an accurate reflection of who our God is. And then we find purpose in that. And we find meaning in that. There's an epidemic right now of hopelessness and purposelessness. And we only find purpose as we begin to sacrifice ourselves and live for God. That is where our purpose is found. A life that accurately reflects the character of Christ begins to shape, take shape. So we're going to dive in, okay? So... Verse, verse 12, this will be a slow walk. As I said, we're just going to get through the first two verses, but they're deep. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it starts with a, a therefore, right? So connecting to kind of everything that precedes it. So you saw in chapters 9 through 11 as God laid out what we might call, or as Paul laid out what we might call God's master plan of mercy. He, he shows us in an incredible way how God's plan has always been to show mercy to a people that were not his own people, like a foreign, a foreign nation, Gentiles through Israel, and that through the Gentiles then, somehow God is going to show mercy to the Israelites. And God's plan has always been about mercy. And so Paul says, but it connects to more than that, really. It connects to everything that Paul has shared to this point in the letter. So he's saying, he's laid out a lot of doctrine to this point. 
Okay, there's, there's been practical stuff, but you've seen as you've walked through, he's laid out a lot of really deep theology and doctrine. But doctrine that isn't lived is useless. It's like, it's not worth $10 like that watch, right? Doctrine that isn't lived isn't worth very much. It's fake. And so, so Paul says, therefore, right, based on all this doctrine that I've shared for you, based on everything that I've, I've told you, he writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so, so with your eyes on the mercy that God has shown you in Christ, and we think about the things that he's written, right, that he has, he has conquered sin and death on our behalf, that he accepted the wrath of God that we each deserve, that, that we cannot be separated from his love, that he gave us his spirit as a seal, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that he's called you out of darkness and into the light, that he's shown incredible mercy to every one of us, that he has grafted us, a wild branch, into the vine, and he calls us his children. Based on all those mercies, uh, the literal translation is, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies, plural, of God. This idea of the multiplied and varied mercies of God. He's appealing to these things. And so as he appeals to the mercies of God, we ought to pause there and consider exactly what is in view. What, what What does Paul have in view here when he says, I'm appealing to you on the mercies of God? So we're going to slow down just a second. We're not in a hurry. Although sometimes I speak like I am, I know. We're going to think about some of the ways God has shown mercy to you. If you need to like close your eyes to not be distracted, if you need to bow, that's okay. Think about it. Think about the things that he's chosen to overlook in your life. Has God overlooked anything in your life? I'm so glad that he looks past, think about the thing maybe that you're most ashamed of. Have you, see, have you received forgiveness for that? That's mercy. He's been merciful. Think about the way that he guides and directs your steps. You know, I share like some of the testimonies of things God is doing. It, it's God leading. And it's, and it's all mercy and grace that's fueling it. It's all mercy and grace. Think about the times that you've wandered a little bit off course or maybe a lot off course and, and how gently and, and lovingly he guides you back into the path. Think about how patient he's been with you. He's been patient with me. See, when, if I would run into my old self, I'd want to kick my own butt. <laughs> I'd want to be like John and James, like, can we call down fire and just smoke this one God? Like, he's done. This guy is useless. That's what I, that's, that's what I would look at the old man and say. I'm so thankful, God, who would have been right to do it. Extended mercy instead of the, the justice, right, that, des- that I, I deserved his wrath. I deserved hell, a, a real place of eternal torment and separation from God. That is what my sins earned. The wages of sin is death. My sins earned that, but God, in his grace, extended mercy by pouring that out on Christ so that he could be just and the justifier. He was just, right? He, he could not let it go unpunished, and so he poured it out on his own son instead, who took my place so that he could extend mercy to me and still be just. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. Think about the sins. Maybe, maybe you've got a sin or sins that God just miraculously removed. Like, you didn't have to try 
He didn't have to struggle through it. Anybody have those? Anybody have like one that like God just kind of took away and you're like, thank you so much. He, it's like he knew that you just, it was going to destroy you. Alcohol was that for me. God just took it away. I tried to keep drinking and I got sick when I, I would get literally sick and I could not physically do it anymore. He just took it away. Cigarettes, just, I didn't have to like try very long to quit. He just took it away. Other things in his mercy though, he also let me wrestle with knowing that it would cause me to, to live with a greater dependence on him and to, to learn, I had to learn, just like we all have to learn, to run to him and rely on him to overcome something. So in his mercy, some things he just removes. And in his mercy, sometimes he leaves things in our lives and, and allows us to deal with him to teach us how to rely on his strength and not our own. It's all mercy. Have you been changed? Have you, you know, we, maybe you sing the song, Goodness of God, I don't know if that's a song you guys do regularly or not, but you've probably heard the song. Have you experienced that goodness that we sing about? Have you been forgiven much? It's all mercy and grace. We're going to have communion today, as Brooks mentioned. And in communion, we remember the cross. We remember what he did for us on the cross. But I want to encourage you, like, also remember who he's been in your life. Like, remember as he's walked with you through those times. Remember as he's forgiven you much and continued to show grace and as he's continued to be your friend and your redeemer, but also that he is a holy, just, righteous Savior who extended mercy. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember all of it. Remember how he has been there for you in difficult times and shown you mercy. It starts right here. Can you see his mercy toward you? The Apostle Paul pleads with us. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, talking to the church, I'm appealing to you because of God's mercies. If you have any desire in you to be holy and to please God, if his mercy causes anything at all to to well up or stir up inside of you and, and it causes you to desire to respond, to worship God, he says, then do it this way. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Put your whole life in his hands. Everything. Put all of your life in the hands of God. Moment by moment as a life being continually offered up to God for his purposes and his glory. It says this is your spiritual act of worship. See, the, the translators and the commentators, they don't fully agree on, on what this means. Some say this is your reasonable service. Some say uh, this is your true worship. The NIV, ESV, NRSV, it's about like half and half. They all say This is your spiritual act of worship. What we know, what we can see here is that Paul is making a connection. He's showing us there's a real connection between the physical and the spiritual, between what you do and what you believe. Those two things cannot be separated. Worship isn't just a spiritual, mystical experience. It isn't just the 30 minutes that we designate for music on a Sunday morning. It's lived out in our daily lives. In some of the things in our lives that may even seem very ordinary, as we use our bodies to glorify God wherever we go. Some, some of the translations say, offer yourselves to make it like more inclusive than our physical bodies. Wherever I go, myself goes with me. Like my, my body carries myself, my spirit, it all goes with it. So that's, that's fine, that has, that has merit. The point is that your relationship with God, which is based on the view of his mercies and grace, ought to lead to a physical and a spiritual response. The two are connected as we offer ourselves to be used 
for God's will. And so just like our old sinful nature expressed itself through our bodies, right, the way we lived, the things we did, the way we talked, the friends we hung out with, the different, all those things we did, our sin nature expressed it through our bodies, expressed itself through our bodies. Our new spiritual lives in Christ are expressed through our physical bodies. As one commentator wrote, when we are changed, when we follow Christ, our feet will walk in his paths, our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel, our tongues will bring healing, our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distress, and our eyes will look humbly and patiently toward God. Our bodies will be offered up to be used for his purposes. The mission that we prayed over and, and, and kind of felt like the Lord leading us to for Good News Church was uh, our mission is to flood this place with the love and light of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we, we chose that language was specifically flood this place was so that people could take it on a Sunday morning and carry it with them wherever they went. They, they could take it. It wasn't just to flood Kinchlow. It wasn't just to flood this church building. It was to flood this place. So like somebody could take that and go into their workplace and say, Lord, help me flood this place with the love and light of Jesus Christ. That a, a kid could go to school from youth group and say, Lord, help me to flood this place with the love and light of Jesus Christ. That People could stand in the checkout lane at Meyer when you're in a, a big stinking hurry because we're always in a big stinking hurry and we're never slowing down to like listen for what God's doing. So just stop and say, God, please help me flood this place with the love and light of Jesus Christ. I want to be available to you wherever I'm at. When I go to my kid's sports game, God, help me flood this place with the love and light of Jesus Christ and show this world who Jesus is, even if it's in a very small way, even if it's just a little bit. It's kind, of, it's kind of a picture of just offering ourselves continually as a living sacrifice. And so this idea of being a living sacrifice, right? It's, it's Mother Teresa picking up bodies of the dead and the dying on the streets of Calcutta, but it's also helping with the dishes after supper, right? It's going to a distant nation and, and taking the gospel to people who have never heard it. It's selling all of your possessions and giving to the poor, but it's also uh, taking care of your neighbor's cat while she's on vacation. It's everything. It's everything. Sacrifice is the part that's required. Jesus tells us, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Self needs to be crucified daily. And I don't know about you, but this self needs to be crucified moment by moment by moment, many times a day. Say, die self. Die flesh. You don't rule anymore. Richard Foster says that the, the problem with living sacrifices is that they're always trying to climb off the altar. <laughs> That's, I, that, any, that resonate with anybody? Like that, hit, that one hit me. It's like, yes, I agree. I agree. It's, the difficulty I find is I try to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God is that I'm always trying to climb off the altar. My flesh is always like, it's just screaming against the spirit and what God wants me to do. It, it's, the flesh is so ridiculous. It's like, in one instance, like, oh, we can't do that. I'm too, I can't do that. I'm too tired. Or, you know, then it's like, I can't do that. I'm too busy. And I, I can't do that. That's, um, 
That might, that's beneath me. That's not my problem. Or like, I can't do that. That's above my pay grade. It always wants me at the extremes. It's always trying to find a way to like weasel itself out of doing what God has called me to do, which is namely to sacrifice myself and offer my body as a living sacrifice that's good and pleasing in his sight. The flesh is always trying to climb off the altar because it stubbornly refuses to die without a fight. The flesh always wants to say no to God and yes to what I want or to the course of action that I think is best. And it wants me to take matters into my own hands and try to do things in my own strength. And I haven't always passed the test. Like daily, sometimes, I fall short and I, and I fail. And I go, oh God, I want to, I'm sick of that flesh. Like I'll just crucify it. It'd be so much easier without it. But he, he lets us war it out. <laughs> he lets us war it out. It teaches us to rely on him. I've crawled off the altar many times uh, to take the easy road as I was just doing some personal um, scripture, like devotional reading uh, just a couple weeks ago as I was reminded, there's no easy road to the narrow gate. So it just felt like the Lord showed me in scripture. I tend to, in the flesh, look for the easy road, thinking that it will lead to the narrow gate. It doesn't exist. It, It doesn't exist. The Christian life that is being transformed to look like the character and nature of Christ is hard. It's, it's, a, it's a narrow road. Few find it. It's, it's not easy. And it, it gets more difficult when we look at the world, right? We've talked about the flesh a little bit. When we look at the world, the world it's like seems to be on easy street. And it's like, come on and join us. And so then the flesh starts screaming about that too, right? It's a hard road he's calling us to follow him down, but it's worth it, and he's worth it. He's worth it. And the good news is don't let this discourage you. There's grace along the way. What you find when you get on that narrow road is that his grace really is sufficient. I love that Paul put that when he's talking about the thorn in his flesh, that my grace is sufficient for you. It truly is, but you don't find out until you're on the narrow road in the hard place. That's when you learn, like, oh, his grace does sustain me. He doesn't give us, like, tomorrow's grace today it's like day by day he gives us enough grace to get through that situation that day and as we walk with him we find all along the way it's just grace and mercy that's poured out as he's patient with us as he he's already taken all the mistakes that we're going to make into account he's already taken them into account he knows what you're going to do he he just he, he lovingly guides us along that narrow road the question is am, am i willing to go Am I willing, in response to all that God has done for me, to offer myself up to him to be used as a living sacrifice for his glory and his purposes? Verse 2, we're flying. Again, addressing brothers and sisters, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve or to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul kind of, he kind of cuts off like maybe what he's, maybe the sense of a, a childish rebuttal to this idea of sacrificing ourselves that we might come back and like, well, God, what about the rest of the world? Like, why do they get to stay up late? Why do they get to have all the fun? Why do they get to do all this stuff? You know, what about them? Why don't they have to ever sacrifice anything? He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world any longer. Don't do it. To be conformed to the pattern of this world is to be shaped and molded by the world by the, the way the world tells you you should act and the way the world tells you you should think and the way the world tells you 
you should live. It's hard not to, to kind of jump ahead into chapter 13 into like the political scene right now, but I think this is one of the places, I'm just going to touch on it because it's one of the places where we most see Christians conforming to the pattern of this world. See, as, as we think about conforming to the pattern of this world, if you're a, a say if you're a conservative-leaning person, you might think it's those woke liberals. They, that's the pattern of this world, and we've got to fight against them. And if you're a, a more, maybe a liberal-leaning person, you're like, it's those greedy conservatives. I want to tell you, like, if, you're, if that's you, right, if you're, the, if you're the conservative person that's going, it's those woke liberals, we can't conform, we've got to fight against the fact that you are thinking about the American political scene when you hear this word tells me that you are being conformed to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of this world isn't just the specific manifestations of sin, right? It's not just the, the, these things that I disagree with in the political realm. It's, it's much broader than that. The pattern of this world is fear. And that goes across the spectrum. All sides will try to use fear to get you to behave in a certain way. Andy Stanley, uh, you may have seen this just recently, stood up in front of the Georgia State Legislature. You might have sent it to me, Brooks. Um, it, it, was, it was awesome. He, like, he might as well have had like a doctor's mask and a scalpel because he just carved these people up. He, he told the Georgia State Legislature, he said, if you have to lead, if you have to use fear to lead and get people to vote, it means that you're a terrible leader. So right to their face. And you know what they did? They all laughed. They were like, ha, 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 ha. Am I bleeding? Did I just get punched in the nose? Ha, 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 They're just like, they just didn't know what happened. Like, this guy just, like, carves them up. And he's telling them, like, the pattern of this world is to get you to be afraid. The world wants to tell you to be afraid, be outraged, and do this as a response. They're just using and manipulating you to do what they want you to do. That is the pattern of this world. And it's sin. It's sin. The pattern of this world is fear, it's pride, it's lust for power, it's lust for sexual gratification, it's greed, it's all sorts of things. And it goes across all these different spectrums in ways that we categorize ourselves. That's the pattern of this world. The truth is that we have two options. Be conformed to the world's pattern, right? Act in accordance with the world's expectations without any regard for what God expects, or, or, be transformed. There's, there's not a middle ground. You're being formed. You're always being formed. You're either being conformed to the pattern of this world or transformed by God. To be transformed is to be radically, thoroughly altered in every way. The word that's, that's used here, it's used about three times in the New Testament. It's the same word that uh, was used when Jesus was transfigured. That word transfigured is also metamorpho. Right? It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it describes a change that occurs from within the person, and it affects the entire being. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Remember we talked about that purpose, the watch. It reflects the master craftsman. He's saying, we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, are being transformed, a continual process is what's implied there. We're in this process of being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So to be transformed here is to, to become or to be uh, in the process of becoming an accurate, enduring reflection of the Lord's glory. We're transformed into the very likeness and the very nature and the very character of Jesus Christ himself by the Spirit. By saying no to the flesh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, we break away from conformity to the expectations of the world, and we join God in the process that he uses to change us from the inside out. He's the master craftsman. He's the one doing the changing. We're just participating in it. Our transformation is a process, right? And just like that lady that she's spending, I can't even imagine spending a whole week. That's probably all she does, just polishing this one little piece. Just like, just like that lady, it has to be extremely, just extraordinarily patient. God's patient with us. And he'll take years. He'll take years. Some of you laugh. You know what I'm talking about. He'll take years, and he'll just keep polishing that one part. And like, if you would just sit still, like if you could just still sit still for two seconds, I could. And but we kind of get squirmy, right? And and he's patient with us, and he keeps polishing. He keeps shining because he wants us to be an accurate reflection of his character. He wants to be. He wants to see us bring him glory. And he does it through the Spirit, which we just read, and the Word, which you know, Second Timothy three sixteen, and lots of other verses point to. It's by the Spirit and the Word; those are the agents that are being used to transform us by renewing our minds. And as he renews our minds, we're then able, right? There's like there's a couple reasons that a watch won't work. One is mechanical, right? The pieces, like like that piece of junk that I bought for ten bucks, right? The pieces don't work. It's a mechanical issue. Right? God takes care of that. He takes care of the mechanics. He's going to get those pieces and make it so they work. Right? He's going to transform our minds so that we can actually think properly to be able to discern what his will is. So we can like, that's like knowing what time it is. Right? So the other reason is like if the, the person owning the watch just doesn't know what time it is. Right? Like I think like Brooks this morning was like, oh, I didn't set my, didn't set my watch back to daylight savings time yet. Right? Which is, I'm so mad that we had to do that again. That's another issue. Um, like, if you, if you don't know what time it is, right, you're just guessing. You're just guessing. Like, there's a, there's a world clock, and I, I got into clocks a lot this week as I was preparing, and I could, like, bore you to death. There's, it's, it's complicated. It's way more complicated than I thought it needed to be to figure out what time it is. But it's, we can really accurately tell what time it is. But the thing is, like, you have to know what the actual time is so that you can set your little repeater watch, right, off of the time that it actually is. If you don't know what time it is, you're just going through life and you're guessing. And you might be right, like a broken clock's right twice a day, isn't that the saying? Um, you, you, might be, you might just stumble into being right once in a while, but generally you're going to be off. Your life is not going to line up with what God's word says is true. You're not going to line up with what time God says it is. He wants us to live in a way that's good and pleasing and perfect in his sight. He wants us to be able to discern and do his will. And the truth is that if we want to experience a transformed life, if we, if we want to experience what it's like to be transformed by God, our minds must be renewed. And it requires our participation. It requires us to do so. It's not our doing that does the transformation, but it does require us to do something. He says, offer yourselves, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's like our role in that. He doesn't make us do it. It's grace, by grace he allows it, by grace he makes it possible for us to even have the avenue to do it, but he doesn't like drag us along and force us into it. 
So we have to offer ourselves continually as a living sacrifice, moment by moment, to do his will in us and through us. And then we find that as we join him in the process, as we participate with God and allow him to polish up those areas and replace that plastic with real parts. That watch, the $300,000 one, had like a 1,000 parts in a wristwatch, like a 1,000 little gears and intricate things. God wants to take and just build something beautiful. And he's going to take his time and, and deal with all those little intricate parts, and he's going to put this one in place and this one in place and this one in place. And in that process, as we join him, a, a beautiful life is created that's an accurate reflection of who he is, that gives him all the glory. That's the aim in our relationship with God. Everything else in chapter 12 and 13 flows from that truth. So then as you look at yourself, which comes next, as you look at your relationship with others in the church, as you look at your enemies, as you look at the government, as you look at the law, Right As you look at the age we live in and how you interact in each one of those areas of life, it starts by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. It starts with saying, God, I'm yours to do whatever you want with. Here, here's the raw materials, God. You make something beautiful out of it. And then allowing him through his spirit and through his word to do that work of transformation in our lives so that we can know what time it is. So that our lives can be in sync with what God says is true. To, to make this, I didn't, I'm not sure how to close this. It would be really easy to try to give you like a list of disciplines and things that you could, seven simple steps to being transformed or, um, you know, things that you could practice, ways that you could serve to really show that, um, but it's not going to make any difference until you decide in your heart to put your whole life on the altar and let God consume it. That's, that's what it comes down to. This, this is done on our knees. This is done in, in, in truly from the heart, like deciding, God, I'm done with the flesh. I'm done with the world. I want to live for you. So take my life. I place it on your altar. And I think there's a guy named Steve McVeigh. I love this, this morning prayer. I just, I put, every day I put myself on the altar and I wait for God to come down and consume it to be used for his purposes, to, to glorify him. Otherwise, we're just, we're just spinning our wheels. We'll keep kind of going through the motions, and we might do things that make us look like a real watch on the outside, but if we don't allow him to do that internal work of actually transforming the, our inner being, right, our minds, our hearts, our spirit, like, none of it really will matter. You'll never be able to do all those things that, that come next, right? all the things that we read about, even just in chapter 12, if you don't start here. So, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, think about what he's done for you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, I'm so thankful for your mercy. I'm so thankful that day by day your mercies are renewed in my life that um, although it is a hard, narrow road, 
although it is a difficult path that you've called us to, you've given us the grace, you've not called us to do a single thing that you would not also empower us with the ability to do, because you're not a cruel God, you're a good God, and we know that. And we trust in your goodness, Lord, even when it's hard to see, especially when it's hard to see, Lord, we trust in your goodness, knowing that you are indeed working all things together for the good of of those of us who love you and are called according to your purposes. And so we trust you and we thank you that you are working these things out, Father God, and, and help us to not get frustrated with ourselves on the journey, Lord. Help us to understand that it, we don't become an Apostle Paul overnight. We don't become Christ-like overnight, that you do have us in a process, and it just takes our day-by-day um, living into your word and, and being willing to say, God, here I am, send me. Being, able to, being willing to say, God, I'm, I'm available to be used by you. Be, being willing to do things for your glory, whether it's washing the dishes or or serving in a, in a mission, or whatever it is, Father God. Would you empower us to do all things as an act of worship and purely out of a response to what you've already done for us so that our lives, God, would be transformed from image to image and glory to glory so that we would become accurate reflections of who you are, Lord, so that our lives would be in sync with what your word says we are to do, Lord. We know that there's, there's no way that we can love our enemies if you don't empower us to do it. There's no way that we can bless those who persecute us if we're not transformed thoroughly from the inside out, if we don't have a renewed mind and a a breaking away from the patterns of this world. Lord, there's no way that we can consistently just look at the evil in the world and try to overcome it with good, even though sometimes it feels like walking in quicksand, God. But yeah, that's what you've called us to do. And Father, we want to be doers of your word, not hearers only who deceive ourselves. So would your Holy Spirit come? The word we just read, Lord, said that it's your spirit that, that does the work in transforming us. We know that it's your word. Would you, As your word and your spirit move in our hearts and our minds, would you wash us and renew us and cleanse us from past sins, Father God, and, and help us to be equipped and encouraged to live more fully for you. And even though we won't get it right all the time, we know that you're patient with us. And we thank you for that, Father. So come and have your way in us. Come and have your way in our lives, Father God. We want to be, be equipped to, to serve in your kingdom in the way that you've called each one of us, Lord. To bring glory to your name in this church body, to bring glory to your name in this community, to bring glory to your name in the Eastern UP and, and far beyond, Father. So Lord, thank you. I just praise you. I thank you so much for this church family. I love these people so much, and I'm just, um, it really is just surreal to be back here and, and to be able to share your word and, and to look out and see faces of uh, dear friends that I love so much. So we just thank you for this time, Father God, as we move into a time of communion. I pray that this would just be the response of our heart now. Would, would the receiving of this, this means of grace that you've given us, Father God, and we're so thankful for that, would it be just a time of reflection on who you are and and everything that you've done for us. Yes, on the cross, but also everything that you've done for us throughout our lives. As we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, we give you all the glory, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen.